your next big move podcast for anyone involved in the buying and selling of businesses that wants to know how to do it right. Hosted by Zorin and brought to you by Exclusive Business Sales. Sell your business with certainty. Hello, everyone. Today, my guest is Elaine Arbery. Elaine is a government lobbyist and her business, Unraveling Red Tape, provides services to businesses of all sizes and organizations that need to affect government policies, legislation and law. We talk about how to influence local, state or federal governments and achieve change for the better when change is needed. This conversation will give you insight into how government bureaucracy works. And you may be positively surprised to find out that the government will actually listen to you and how relatively inexpensive and achievable this process is. I certainly was amazed. So let's get into it. Hello, Elaine, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you very much for having me here, Zoran. Look, I was really looking uh, forward to this conversation because I have never, ever in my life met somebody who does what you do, in particularly for the small business. So you're a lobbyist, you're... You, you work on public policies, you do advocacy, and also government relations. Yes. Can you tell us a little bit more about it, what you actually do and how you do it? So effectively, I'm a translator or somebody who goes between smaller businesses or medium-sized businesses and government so that government can make the right decisions. Because everyone assumes that government knows everything, but they don't. Government only knows what we tell them. So... My job is to help small businesses and medium-sized businesses and government together make the right decisions that help small businesses keep doing what they do really, really well by having good policies, good legislation and go between them as that, that, that translator. So, so, so the government governs and one of the tools that they've got, they make legislations and they make laws. Yep. And earlier we were talking about it off, off the mic so to speak, about how they go about doing this. And one thing that really strikes me, I, I really thought that the people in government wake up every morning and say, how do we make this hard for everybody? <laughs> but, 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 but it's not like that. They're actually trying to do the right thing. Uh, they just need the information from, from people like small businesses or businesses or populace from everybody. So how do they go about... Can we talk about it a little bit? How does, you know, let's say change in the law starts and how does that happen and what does, what's the government process of doing that? So there's two ways it happens. One is that government comes up with some election platform and then they want to make that happen. Okay. As part of that, they'll run public consultations and talk to people and try and find out things. Now, the thing about running any sort of consultation is it's really easy to know what big business wants because they have people who do what I do full-time for them. Mm -hmm. And so they're always there telling government, we need this, we need this, we want this, we want this. But when you go down to smaller organisations that aren't the really big ones in their industries, it's much harder to find out what they want because if you think about it, if you're the CEO of a small organisation – you don't have time to worry about that stuff because you're just thinking so hard on what you're going to do next and, and, and how to actually do the stuff that your clients want. Yep. And also lots of small businesses don't realise that you can change or influence government's decisions. So government does all of that. They go away, they have conversations. When they have the conversations with the big businesses, they'll say to them, 
how does this impact small business? Is it going to harm small business? And usually the big businesses will go, oh, no, it's fine. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I see where you're getting from. So they don't go on purpose to uh, make the... uh, atmosphere to 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 make the to make the uh, situation better for them but they're not gonna go off their way to make it harder for them either so even if that impacts a small business they're just not gonna say anything they're gonna say yeah, that, that, that works for for everyone meaning us unfortunately yeah that that tends to be and and, and working for government you have an idea that's going on but it's very difficult to engage with small business because even when I was working for some of the peak industry bodies and there was proposals coming up and I knew it was going to harm the smaller end of, of the industry more yep. than the big end of industry, I'd ring the CEOs and say, hey, mate, you've got to be involved in this. And they'd say, Elaine, I just don't have time. And sometimes I'd have to say, them, well, you need to make time because my gut feel on this is if you don't make the time to have this conversation with me and you don't need to turn up to my working group meetings, you don't need to turn up to meetings with government, you just need to give me the information so that I can put it forward on your behalf. But if you don't do that, my gut feel is that you're going to have to employ two, three more staff just to deal with this stuff. So you're going to have even less time later on if you don't allow some time now, yeah? Absolutely. Okay. And... Um uh, look, people listening to this still going to have a problem to understand what exactly do you do. So uh, w- what I would like to do is start with a few examples of what you've done in the past, which can kind of shine a light on what you're doing. And then we're going to de- uh, uh, dive deeper I- I- into 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 this going forward. So uh, you, you gave me some examples, and I wanted to go through them um, one in particular really struck me during the uh, COVID micro business grant. And y- do you want to explain what you've done there? So, and this is a this is an example of how public policy tends to work. Yeah. So what happens is when the GST legislation came into effect, GST applies above seventy five thousand dollar turnover a year, as you'd know. Yeah. So when they were making the COVID grant legislation, they just chose $75,000 because it was already in the GST Act. There was a number there that they but could they right. could anchor to, yeah? Yep. There's no actual reason for why they did. I've spoken to numerous people across and they come up with all different reasons, but none of them are particularly robust in, in my view. Yep. Now, 83%, according to the government's own data, 83% of small businesses turn over under $100,000 a year. So that meant when they were coming up with the small business grants for for COVID, most businesses who were actually small couldn't 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 access it because you had to turn over over seventy five thousand dollars a year, but eighty three percent of small businesses turn over under a hundred. Yep. So I had some conversations with the New South Wales government, and I presume I wasn't the only one, but I had some conversations, and I said, well, that makes no sense. You need something for businesses between 30 and 75, because probably businesses under 30, are they actually a business? That's, that's, that's a question. We, we won't go into that. Let's look at the easier end. Let's look 30 to 75. And so the New South Wales government then came out with the micro-business grants. Now, they weren't as generous as the small business grants for over 75000 but something's always better than nothing. So, so you said you were talking to government. Did government approach you? So, so how did that happen? Well, 
I rang the New South Wales uh, Small Business Ombudsman and I said, your job is to be out there advocating for small business. Why has this happened? It doesn't make any sense. What can we do about it? So you went on your own accord and said, hang on, the government is not getting good information here. I think I can help. And you went and approached the relevant people or whoever you needed to talk to. So I had a look at the data, got the 83% turnover under 100,000 and said, this makes no sense. And on the back, how instrumental were you in at bringing, what would you say, bringing this micro, micro business grant to the table? Were you... Well, it's always very difficult to know to know that sort of thing. Um, I would be very surprised if I was the only person having those conversations with them, but they did ring me back a, a few weeks later and said, look, um, there's going to be a really good announcement coming out. Just keep your eyes peeled. So anybody who, had a micro, who has a micro business in Australia at the moment should thank you for doing what you've done. Well done. New South Wales, <laughs> yeah. uh, New South Wales, this was yeah. New South Wales, correct. Okay. And the other example that you put forward, it was a mon- mandatory paperwork notification in certain industries. You, oh, were, yeah. you were engaged by that particular industry to approach the government and try to change that. And yeah. in the process, saved hundreds of thousands of dollars to them. Do you want to explain that a little bit more? So, again, this is a case where people just assume that a government knows everything about everything, but also government knows everything about its own laws. And in the 1990s, governments started changing the laws so that stuff could be sent electronically instead of by paper. Yep. And obviously, like everyone, they knew what they do electronically and by paper, so they changed their own notifications, but some stuff just got left out. And I think this is one case where this industry, for whatever reason, was still required to send paper notifications at least once a year to their customers. Now, if you think about it as a customer, if you get... A paper notification. What do you think it is? It's a bill. It's, it's a bill money. or a fine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So people would, you know, stick them under pot plants or whatever, lose a few nights sleep going, I don't have the money to pay this. I'm pretty sure I've already paid it. They'd ring up. They'd be quite all right. They'd say, I need to make a complaint. Why are you sending me bills? They still haven't opened the piece of paper. Don't Amazing. mind you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we went back to government and said, look, nobody nobody wants to receive this. The customers don't want to receive this. Um and they want to receive it electronically. So these days, it's sent electronically, either through your your portal or your app with with that organisation, or um, through email. So how hard or how easy was to make the change? It wasn't that hard because it's fairly logical. But a lot of these <laughs> just, just because something <laughs> is logical, it doesn't mean it's not hard. But okay. No, some things are harder sells than others. It always takes time. The, the machinery of any large organisation and government is a large bureaucracy. It moves slowly. So you always have to be patient with them. So you go to them and say, look, I think I think this got left out. Can, can we do something about it? And then generally their first response is, oh, look, we don't know. There's a reason that it was left out. And then I kind of have to go away and say, well, actually, I can't find a reason. Can you find a reason? And then they'll go, oh... No, actually, we can't. And then you kind of get to the point of saying, well, how about we change it? Because it's not working for anyone. So it all it all takes time. And there's no reason to be. And no there's no reason. It. That's right. No one receives it. And I mean, personally, I only check my letterbox once every six months. So I wouldn't even get anything that was sent to me by post. It's true. It's true, <laughs> yeah. And, and look, we, in our industry, which is legislated by... Um, um, 
well, it's a it's a real estate re- legislation. We have a requirements for certain things to be sent uh, um, um, by physical mail, and it really doesn't work. It really doesn't work. But you know the requirements are there, and we're just still ticking a box. So there, there, there's pos- potentially a bit of a job for you there. <laughs> and again, it it's a case of, you know, why are you still regulated as real estate? And probably what happened was the very first business brokers were probably ex-real estate agents or real estate agents that someone said, oh, you've sold my house, now can you sell my business? And when that tends to be the history, and we've moved past that, and a lot of the stuff I do is about, modernising stuff that happened in the past that everyone forgot. Everyone's forgotten why it was like that why, why, in the first place. Like that, Nobody yeah. knows. I can give you it doesn't make any one sense. examples of these, yeah. yeah. But, but most of us didn't know that you can actually change these things. You just accept it. This is the, this is the law, you know, like for lack of a better word. word and y- you just find the ways to live in it, but the influencing change could make everyone's life much better and that's it so i guess the really interesting thing with what i do is you can spend your time and your effort and your money every year complying with laws or government decisions that make no sense or you can invest some time and effort and money once off to make your life and often everyone else's in your industry much easier going on so then you can reinvest that money in the future back into your business yeah you just gotta let right people in the government know that that's the case because they're not going to make a change because they don't know it hurts people. That's right. They don't, it hurts businesses, just don't know it. So you got to go and, and, and let them know. Look, there's a few more examples, but we may going to come back to them. I just want to, uh, when we're talking about influencing government, h- how do you do that? Like, how, s- s- say I want something or, or association wants something change. How do we go about, well engage you and you go and make your magic but like explain to us a little bit more what your magic is how the process works well the first step is to have a really good conversation about what you want because sometimes people think they want one thing but what they want is something different they've heard that something might be the panacea to all their woes okay but once you start having that conversation so the first thing i want to work out with you is what your actual issue is so that we can work that out And then the second thing is, how realistic is that? And sometimes it's a matter of saying, okay, basically you want to change the world here and this is where you are right now. But how about from here, we aim to come here first and we take some baby steps. In small increments. Do one thing first and then move to the next one. So a lot of the work with government is about building relationship and building trust because Pretty much everyone in government, whether they work for the public service or whether they're a minister, has been burned by somebody at some point, giving them information that wasn't in, that wasn't correct, and they've ended up, you know, wear, wearing that. So, and that's one of the reasons we want to do some of those incremental baby steps along the way to get to where you are. Because if you're asking a really big thing and a big leap of faith of, from someone, that that's really difficult. Whereas if you say, well, you know, for example, with the electronic communications. Let let's just go to sending it electronically rather than by paper because that's how everyone interacts these yep. days. So you can do one step at a time. And you know, eventually you might say, well, the open rate is point one of a percent. So why do we need to send it all? But you can't start with that ask because it's too big. It's so too what much. W- in this case, what what would be the ask? How would you start? 
With the electronic? Well, no. What, what you're saying, like, well, the, the, the end goal is to stop sending letters. Yep. So how did you start with this? Did you say, look, let's do electronic and yep. letters and yep. then... Then we can analyse it. We can analyse the open rates. We can have a look at those sort of things. And if it's only 0.1% of people who are reading it and if the reason for it... So if that legislation was implemented 20 or 30 years... Because most legislation's because of a problem. Somebody's done something wrong at some point. And if that was 20 or 30 years ago then you probably say, well, you know, it's not really relevant And anymore. then we're just putting the laws on top of another laws on top of another laws. Sometimes we've got to take some away exactly. to make it easier. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things I did when I worked for Treasury, I worked in the one of the law improvement projects where we went through all the redundant legislation. We got rid of thousands or tens of thousands of pages of legislation that just did nothing anymore. But it can create a problem. Yep. Uh, um, okay, so, so once when you talk to organization that wants to that, that sees the need for the change i mean everybody wants to make a change but not always you can do it and you assess that's that's a good thing to do and it's possible to do it where do you go from there so the next step is probably the hardest and the most time consuming step and that's to find the right person in government okay and i'll say in 99.99% of the times, it is not the minister. The minister is the last person you want to go to. If you think of them, that they're your, they're your last resort, the minister. Okay, so it's interesting because that's what we all think, we sh- where we all think we should start, go to the minister. So why the minister is not the right person? Partly they're incredibly busy. Yeah, okay, fair they're enough. In, if, if everybody goes to the minister with everything, then you can just imagine, and it's... And they're going to have really big, urgent priorities. So unless yours is big and urgent and about re-election and things like that, you're going to end up at the bottom of their list of priorities anyway. Okay. Uh, Secondly, they're not the subject matter expert. So a minister's a bit like a CEO and they've got whole teams of people working for them. And if you think about, you know, the CEO calls in the senior manager and has the conversation and the senior manager has a conversation to the middle manager and at some point that's all going to get lost in translation and finally you're going to get to the person who's an expert in that. And by that t- time, it might be the diff- exact opposite of what you asked for in the first it's place. It's like a Chinese whisper. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what you want to do is find that person who's a subject matter expert, the person who's passionate about this particular area of government policy and getting it right. But also, if I'm the person in the government doing that, I'd get a little bit upset if this comes from the top down instead of me instigating the change. Yeah, and also it's more work for you because what will happen when it comes from the top down, you get something called a ministerial. So that letter that you wrote to your, your minister will end up on that particular person's desk anyway. Yep. And then they have KPIs and tie frames and they have to divert their resources from doing stuff that they're trying to do to writing back to you to the letter and usually a lot of people when they write to government it's very emotive it's it's, there's not a lot of data there's not a lot of statistics in there it's very emotive Um, an interesting story about that was when I was working for government once I um I was working in the tax office for a while and I got a private binding ruling request and to uh, apply for a private binding ruling you have to send a whole lot of information in. And these people, they'd sent in the information, but they'd left out the crucial page of the contract. So I rang them up and said, look, I need this page of the contract. I can't do anything until then. And so I talked to the person's secretary because the person didn't want to talk to me. 
And anyway, and then they didn't, they said, yep, we'll get it to you. They did sent me a different piece of paper. So this whole thing's dragging on and on. And eventually they put in, I never got that piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And six months later, they put in a complaint about me because I was taking too long to make the decision that I didn't have so, any so information to make a decision. And this yeah. is the same sort of thing. It's that's really annoying. complaint, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really annoying. And then I have to do all this paperwork just to find so, the, And it's so a bit it's like the ministerial time, thing, yeah. So it's more time wasted on just administration when if you had everything, if, if that was done through the right channels, would be done much faster. Yeah, and giving them the right information of what okay, they need. So how do you figure out who to talk to in the government? Well, there's a whole lot of ways, some organisation charts. I've, I, I used to work for government for a long time. I've got contacts from working in the, the large associations. I've got contacts from running my business. So often I'll ring up somebody I know and say, hey, who's the best talk person to talk to about this? And they'll give me a name or they'll give me a section name or they'll say, oh, su- such and such knows everyone in that department, talk to them. And so I'll, I'll work through that process. Until you get to the right Until person. Until I get to the right person. Okay, so we got the right person. They said, look, you know, yeah, I'm the one that you should talk about it. So what do you do next? So next you've got to make sure they're interested. How do you do that? And this is, so maybe we'll go back to a, another example. So what happened was just before COVID, there was a budget announcement and government had done a lot of consultation on this. They'd, they'd spent many years coming to the announcement and this went through the federal budget and it cut the funding for an industry by a third. So if you were earning $100 for, you know, an hour, half an hour, 15 minutes, whatever it was, yep. it was now 66 Yep. But they'd never spoken to that particular industry because they didn't know that industry existed. They spoke to larger organisations. So why would large organisations wanted to cut the payments? No one knows. Nobody knows. Okay, but or maybe it was misunderstood or whatever the case was. <laughs> Whatever happened, government was operating on incorrect information. Okay. So then we went to the – and so if you think about it, if you've done three or five years of work to get a decision right, it's in your bottom drawer. You're really glad it's over. You've kind of like – yeah, Finished with it. See you later. Yeah. yeah. You've, you've, you've had your champagne. You've had your beers. You, you don't want to revisit it. So we have to build interest and this, this one was actually quite challenging. Um, in the end, this was a, a medical field. Yep. And I was really struggling to get government interested in, in looking so, at this so, again. So how many people were affected with this decision? Uh, so in terms of the profession, about yep. 100. In, so in terms of patients, many more, because this is the real pointy end of the medical. So this is really, really, really sick people. Okay. So we got 100 people in Australia wanted to change some budget decision. So they yep. employed you. Yep. And now you're working on it. So so we got to the person that's kind of not really interested in doing this because <laughs> they put it in their bottom drawer. As far as they're concerned, <laughs> this is uh, done. So what did you do then? So I said to them, I thought this is really important. I said, how about if we can get you into hospital to watch one of these procedures? Hang on, so so you got a <laughs> you got a you got somebody who's in charge of writing the laws, so so some bureaucrat. You managed to convince them to go into hospital and actually watch the procedure. Yep. How'd you do that? I suspect no one had ever asked them before. They were working in 
the Department of Health doing health-related stuff and they'd probably never actually watched a surgical procedure. So being their area of specialisation, they were really interested. Right. So they said yes. So they came to Sydney. Yeah. We um, got them into the hospital. They watched it and after that they were convinced. They said, yep, you're right. We've got to do something about it. Let's work together on this. So even though now there was in the bottom drawer nights on the top of their desk and they're working on it. Absolutely, yep. And you managed to make a change. Yeah, so in the next budget we got that budget decision turned around. So then it was in line with where it was before and in line with similar similar professions and similar procedures. And it's amazing. So w- w- when we started talking about this, I was I really always thought that influencing government decisions is reserved for big end of town. And you're telling me 100 people Australia-wide got affected by this and managed to make a change simply by demonstrating that, that the decision is not the best decision and government embraced it and made the change. Yep. Unbelievable. How long did it take? So it took just under 18 months. From the moment that they said, hey, um, we, need a, we need your help to the m- point that decision was made that, or that changed. Yep. Okay. So government does move slowly. Well, but That's fairly fast for government. 18 months. I mean, like, you know, you, well, one would think it takes years <laughs> to do anything like this. I don't think it's that slow at all. Now, um, in terms of, like, this is lobbying and, and, and changing of the laws, but you also can help SMEs when when they have a contract uh, with the government or have a leases with the government, which is common, that you can have a government lease. And so it's not always changing uh, laws or interpret- interpreting laws, but it could be, you know contract that's unfair contract for one reason or the other that rather than going through legislative process that through actually talking to the government you can make a change um how do you do that and do you have any examples of it so obviously when you're dealing with government the hardest thing is to change the law and the easiest is to change a government decision so sometimes the law is fine Government's just interpreted it in a really narrow way. And we might use a, a different example, which is let's talk about environmental stuff. Okay. So some people like to take their Tupperwares to the supermarket, to the deli counter, okay. and get their stuff put in. Now, this was a really interesting case where um, some customers wrote some really angry letters to the local papers and to this chain small smallish chains of supermarkets and said well why won't you allow us to bring our tupperwares because it's really bad for the environment to keep giving us all this disposable stuff and the company initially went back and they said well and they quoted this law and this law and this law and they said we can't and the customers got even more upset (laughs) 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 so anyway uh they I was having a conversation with them and what, what we did was had a look at, at the law and I spoke to the public health authorities and the public health authorities said it's very similar taking your keep cup to the cafe. Yep. You can do it, but it's the onus is on the business operator 
to make sure that there's no infection or cross-infection or anything like that. Cross-contamination, yeah. So, again, it was it was having that conversation because the company had never thought, I guess, outside the square. They were like, well, this is how it works. And, and I think one of the problems there is if you think about the food hygiene, the food safety inspectors, they have a very narrow focus and they tend to just tick certain boxes and they have forms to fill out. And the thought of bringing a Tupperware, it's not on their form. <laughs> so computer says no. So that's it. So in terms of doing that, and particularly as a supermarket, you have to de- deal with the the food safety inspectors in every locality. That that they're, they're not you know one one inspection for the whole of Australia. And so in that case, that's what they were being told by whatever health inspector they spoke to. But it's not actually the truth of the law. And so often you have that kind of very narrow thinking of this is my job and this is how I've been told to do my job rather than the source of my job is the law and we have to have a look if we're actually doing that right or we've taken a far too restrictive interpretation of it. So sometimes it's about going back to that government authority and saying, well, actually, your policies, your computer programs, whatever, are too restrictive because you're not allowing innovation, you're stifling innovation and you're not keeping up with what consumers want, which in this case is to minimise the use of single source plastics. Mm. And but but the, the the examples of that, I mean, all over the 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 legislative framework. Um, wh- one thing that comes to mind, and I'm not giving any ideas to change this, but like, for example, in the restaurants, you're allowed to charge a surcharge on the weekend or during the public holiday. But there is a legislation that says you can't just put a surcharge 10%. You actually have to have a different menu with a different pricing on it. So every time when you change the legislation, you have to do two menus. Every time when you change um, the price of one item, you, you have to double the menu. It's print. It's complicated to do as well. And uh, I remember once being on um, association when you know somebody from government was talking, and they said after they introduced that people were not complying with it, so the inspectors went out there and find quite few business owners for this. I, I'm sure that most of them didn't know that they needed to to have a different venue. Is that a example of something? that you could help with and say, hang on, this doesn't make sense. Who complained about 10% surcharge? And what's the difference if I put on a blackboard saying, hey, I'm charging 10% extra on the weekend uh, in supposed to having a menu with the different prices on it? Is that something that people could engage you to do? Absolutely. I'd love to do that one. And from memory, uh, I, was in, I was in government at the time. That so, 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 you, so you're aware of this? Oh, so you, you're the one who put a lot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you tell me. You were the government of the town. Carry on, carry on. We've been looking for the person responsible <laughs> for this. Everywhere. From memory, and it is 20 years ago, yeah. so um, I might not be 100% co- correct in my, in my recollection of this, but it was to do with the introduction of the GST. So before GST came along, uh, people had the menus that had surcharge. Uh-huh. But with GST, one of the things that they didn't want 
was making people do the calculations in their heads. There's 10% plus 10% on top, yeah. Absolutely. So when we do business-to-business quotes, you can say, you know, $250 plus GST, that's fine. But to consumer, you must say 275 You can't say that. And from memory, that's where it came from. So now that we're 20 years later, now that we have credit card surcharges plus 1% everywhere, I think... 1.25. Try calculating that in your head. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I think that would be that would be a, a very arguable case. Unfortunately, is if I'm correct, it is a GST legislation, and GST legislation is a little bit more complicated to deal with because it involves all the states and territories. But because that would have no difference to the actual money that government gets. I can't see it would be that so, complicated. So how, how would somebody go about changing this? W- would they go through some sort of organised group, like association? Or uh, in this case, it would be association. So so th- there has to be some association. Yeah, I'd be going to the restaurants and food catering and association. Yeah. There's, there's a number, there's Australian Hoteliers Association. There's a few that deal in this. At the end of the day, if you can get your association to do it, A, they're resourced for it. That's what you pay them for. Yep. You pay them for advocacy. And secondly, the more people have the same idea to government, the easier it is to sell something to government to do because the more votes are in it for them, essentially. Yeah, it comes down to that And that's what it comes yeah. down to. Well, not so, always, but often. So, yeah, so your association um, should be able to go to government, have a conversation with your association and go to government and say, well, this is, this is outdated. This, this was from the time of the GST, I, I think, I'm, I'm yeah. pretty sure. And it needs to be changed because it's just too – the cost on individual cafes is just too high. And look, it's very easy to, 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 to have that to, – to miss that. And then next thing you get a fine, I think it's like $7,000 or something. Come on, the, the life is hard. As it is, I don't need $7,000 to pay for That's no particular it. reason either. And now I don't want to put you on spot, but I will. So <laughs> just, just so we can illustrate. I don't want to, but. <laughs> so, so just to illustrate, how much would something – I know, you don't ask me how long is a piece of string because everybody says that's about half a meter, right? So <laughs> uh, how, how much would something like this cost? So if you have a look at the average campaign, it takes about 18 months. Yep. Uh, you're probably looking at about forty to 50000 Okay. Because but in this particular case, you've got to go to every single state and talk to them before you... Possibly. It yep. would depend which part of the GST legislation it was in. Uh-huh. It's also just about spending that time with government and building that case. So at the end of the day, the way that I like to work is to have... Meet the, co- meet the government people you're talking to, have those initial conversations with them so that I can use words that they're using, that I can help them meet their KPIs. So everybody wins. So you win as the client yep. and government staff win by meeting their KPIs and then everyone comes together. And it does take – it takes t- – everything – quality takes time. You, so, so do you want to explain that you use words that they understand? yes. Do you want to expand on that a little bit? So one of the really interesting things that I see um, is that there's just such different, yeah, words. So 
if we come back to some of my clients when I when I can, I'll, I'll get them on government consultation panels or government whatever the the community groups are, and I'll brief them beforehand. And often after their first meeting, I'll, they'll come back and I'll say, "How did it go?" And they'll go. Oh. <laughs> They used all these big words and they sounded so bored and I don't think they're interested and I don't think we're going to get anywhere. And I say, well, tell me about it. And so they'll go through and talk to me and I'll go, okay, would you like me to translate? So that is particular words. That's That means that they're really interested. And those particular words means they're working as hard as they can on it, but because they're government, until it comes out in black and white, they can't commit. Yeah, you see that a lot on TV when you're watching. Like, yep. you know, it's just non-commitment. Yep. Because you don't want to commit on something just in case it doesn't go through and then then looks like you backflipped on it. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And, you know, the media is, is is and social media are very, very quick to label something as a backflip. Yeah. Even though it might not exactly be because they use different words or whatever. Hey, life so is complicated. Like business is complicated. Everything is complicated. It. It's not that simple, you know. So one of the key terms, one of my favourite phrases to use with government is unintended consequences. Yeah. And a lot of things are unintended consequences. If we go back to that example of the the 100 medical professionals in Australia, it was yeah. unintended consequence by government of what happened. Government didn't know that was going to happen. So one of the key phrases with government is you don't say you got it wrong because in some ways they will always got something right in their decision, no matter how bad the decision is, no matter how poorly informed, there will be something that's right about it. But it did have unintended consequences that would have hurt the sickest patients in the country. And so by talking about unintended consequences, you're not blaming anyone. You're going, well, no one intended it. No one meant for it to happen. But this is what's happened, and let's work together to fix it. Yeah, that 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 makes a lot of sense, and you can't <laughs> you can't predict everything. Uh, it, it's a, like I, I talk, you know, often well, not often, but sometimes people complain about government tax department being a bit slow with you know coming back to them when they got a question. Or I said, look, just give them a break. They, how many millions of customers they got, and in most of the cases, they do it right. And some of our businesses got 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 or 100 customers, and we still get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> so, so you you, you got to look at the volume of the information that they're dealing with. And uh, in terms of the small business, it's very fragmented space. Mm. So we, like there's about 2 million businesses in Australia, thereabouts. But... We are not united because we don't have anything that puts us together. We don't have a single voice. And each individual industries have to actually contribute to the government and inform the government as much as they can. Big business does that very well, but a small business often fails. And often because we didn't even know that we can do it. Uh, Through uh, um, associations, through different groups, or by ourselves, we just didn't know that, that that we can do it. We thought it was way more complicated, and we thought that it's always question of millions of dollars to build a relationship. You know, have a lunches with the right people, which is not about it. It's about building a relationship. As far as I understand, and I want you to expand on this if you can, 
It's building with relationship with the right person and showing them that this is actually wrong because they do want to do the right thing as long as they got an information and help on suggestion how to do it. It's about building that trust. And one example I was thinking about when you were talking was when I worked for government, I was working on a particularly complicated piece. I, I used to do corporate tax law and it was a particularly complicated piece of legislation and all this different law all over the place interacted and I went to the public consultation with one specific question because I was really concerned that the different laws wouldn't interact in the right way. And we went around the table and I specifically asked everybody this one question. I said, will it harm this? And everybody said no. And the day that the legislation was introduced into Parliament, front page of the Fin Review we told government this wouldn't work and they went away with it anyway. So that it was a blatant lie. So whoever had told that to the Fin Review, and it wasn't the Fin Review, it was one of the people in the consultation room who told them that because no one else would have known the specifics of the question I asked. Yeah. And so everyone's been burnt by that in one way. So so why would somebody do that? Why, why wouldn't they raise the question or say, hey, I've got a problem with that, this is the issue? Or did they come honestly, to them later? Honestly, I suspect that in the room, because I asked such a specific question and it was financial services and I was a young female at the time. Oh, um, you're not going to go that way. <laughs> I, uh, all right, tell us. Tell us all about it. And I think that in front of their colleagues, they weren't prepared to say, look, I don't know. Let me look into that for you. Okay. Which is always the best answer if you don't know. Just say, look, I don't have that information right now, but I'll look into it. And I suspect they didn't have the information and then rather than giving us a phone call afterwards and saying, hey, actually you were right, they, they didn't want to lose face like that and so they went to the – but everybody in government has been burnt, not necessarily on the front page of the Fin Review like I was, but everybody in government has been burnt like that at some point. So and you've got to build that trust. You've got to show that they can trust you and you're not going to cost them their job or you're not going to get them in trouble or get called into the minister's office like I was. Um, <laughs> and sometimes what you learn from that was my boss said to me, Elaine, why did you ask such a specific question? You gave them that. So, so politics got involved in it. Absolutely. So you got to be very careful how you approach them and not to put them on a limb. You don't want to... You don't want to corner them. You don't want to tell them, I want you to do that. Um, so, so how do you, what questions do you, how do you avoid that? I guess the way I see my job is to put an argument, well, first of all, to find the solution that works for government and the community and the client. So if it doesn't work for all three, then let's find something that does work for all three because at the end of the day, government wants to, serve the, the broader community. Well, that's a, that's, a, that's a good point. Just because you want to change something, you can't change it in order to benefit yourself. You have to benefit all three parties, government, business, and the community. So if there's no, if certain change, so what, you, what I'm hearing you saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you want a certain change just to benefit you, it's not going to happen. It well, can happen, but it's probably... It's, not the right it's, thing to it's do. It's not the right thing. It's, and it's, it's not something I'd get involved with. I'd let you go and talk to some other people about that because, for me, my passion is 
making the country a better place by making sure that the law works best for small businesses so small businesses can do what they do best, which is serve their local communities. Yeah. Okay. And so 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 you think how it's gonna affect these three stakeholders, which is government, community and and the business. And then do you do you actually go with proposal to them or do you ask the questions from the government? How can we do it? How does that work? I'm trying to 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 really understand the process. So it depends on the area that I'm working with, but what I do is I prefer to have a conversation with them before I write a submission because by having that conversation with them, I can listen for their key words and their key phrases and I can fit that in to what that government department or what that person in government, what their KPIs are at the time so that I guess my job is to make something a proposal as apolitical as possible so it doesn't matter who's in power, it doesn't matter if it's Greens, it doesn't matter if it's um, if it's United Australia Party, it doesn't matter if it's Labor, it doesn't – that everyone agrees with it. So right. I want it to be that – and to be something that's safe and logical for them. So every it's, it becomes a proposal that's too good, too logical, that no one can really disagree with. So right. that's – Why would you refuse that? Yeah, Exactly. So if we can keep it out of the political arena, that's – that makes it so much quicker and so much easier. So, so that's a lot of listening to them and, and making it really so, logical. So, so if you put a proposal that's actually logical and you give it to the right person in the government, what do they do with that then? So then it goes through processes, uh, you know, just all the, the, the machinery of bureaucracy. So... That's part of the reason of having the conversation with them first is they will have certain KPIs that they have to do. They will have certain projects that are priority projects for that government department. So if I can fit it into one of those priority projects, if I can find a way to say, even if we change it slightly, what what you want, you're still a step forward, but you might be going, you know, say you're here now and you want to get here and if you can get there, you're still better off. So if we can meld it in so it fits into what government's projects are then that's really good and so once it's if, if we can get it as one of their key projects then it gets integrated into that and gets involved into that process um otherwise so it's so, so how often this happens these 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 projects are like well, government's it, always got projects on so, so it's always happening yep so it's, it's continuous yep so you just gotta fit into the system as as best as you can and then it's gonna happen fast Going to happen faster, yes. Yeah, faster. Nothing happens <laughs> fast in government. Just, just, yes. Just, right. This okay. is a thing too. And it's probably my biggest learning in uh, working with small businesses. Big business understands that nothing happens l- fast in l- large organisations, but small business expects things to happen fast. So one well, thing it's like a less resources, less money. So, you know, we can't, we can't run the campaign for years. We need the results. But I think also small businesses are very agile and small businesses do things fast. Yeah. So they're used to things happening fast. So one of my biggest learning is to have to keep repeating governments, this is actual fast. And when people are going, oh my God, are we still going? I'll go, this is fast for government. Yeah. <laughs> and and I, I would imagine through the process you have to, you, you know, your clients, you have to keep them informed so they know what's going on all the time because... Absolutely. Yeah, how often do you talk to them? I mean, you Most, mostly uh, at least once a week or if we're waiting for responses from government once every month or two because I, I'm not going to be on government's case. I'll, I'll give them time. I'll follow up with them maybe once a month. 
um, and say, hey, how are you going with this? Because they've got other priorities and you don't want to be annoying to them either. It's, it, it's a collaborative – and I guess that's the big thing. We're working collaboratively with government to find something that, that works for everyone. So – and, yeah, if I want to – if if government agrees to appoint them to some sort of committee, then, again, I'll be talking to my client before the committee meeting and after the committee meeting. So it just depends what process we're in. Sometimes I'll talk to them multiple times a day when we're at that really peak phase – when we're putting together our submission or when we're about to have a really important meeting with government, I might talk to the client two or three times a day because we'll change and update things as, as we go. But so then we'll have a conversation with government. So have an initial conversation with government, put together some sort of submission, some sort of proposal. Government will invariably have questions. Yep. So again, going back, Finding answers so, to the questions. Yeah, so there's a there's a there's a part that you're talking more often to them, and then it kind of slows down. Once everything is done, it has to go. Process has to take its course, and there's no point calling them every minute because absolutely if they tell you it's going to take two months. It's going to take take two months. And no. if they come back to you at s- uh, in two and a half months' time and with more questions, they're not necessarily going to tell you where those questions fr- have come from. But it doesn't matter. The fact that they've got more questions means they're progressing That somebody's it. looking at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we will bend over backwards with my clients to answer those questions as quickly as possible. Sometimes we do industry surveys. So we'll send, if we're in an association, we'll send a survey out to all the all the members and say, hey, guys, this is really important for X campaign. Can you please get onto it? Basically, we're giving you three days or whatever. Yeah. And then we'll give that back to government. So give us some tips how to influence government best possible way so the number one tip is do not start with the minister your minister is your last resort okay and the the other part of that tip is find the right person okay and the second tip is to use the use the catchphrases like don't say you made a mistake say there's some unintended consequences of 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 this decision so don't accuse them of doing anything wrong Unless it's opposition, then <laughs> they've done wrong. It's time to you <laughs> to make a change here. Well, I watch TV. That's what <laughs> I mean, I mean, all of the ABC and BBC documentaries on how government works, nothing's changed. Okay. Yes, minister. Yes, yeah. prime minister. <laughs> utopia. Whatever it is, it's just. Um. So, and the the next thing is to, as I said, find that right person, and then depoliticize the process so you, you don't want to be highly emotive you want to make arguments that are too good for anyone to say no to and you want to give them all the information don't be like that person that sent me the information when I was in in the tax office except the most vital pieces of information that are presumably because it wasn't in their favor but I'm not going to make a decision no one's going to make a decision if they're missing vital information so Absolutely, give them everything yeah. and see what happens and if there's information that might not be in you in your best interest or you might think as you've got to give it to them anyway and then you say however blah 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 and you know go into detail about it but don't leave out vital information and also be persistent but be gentle don't be aggressive they're not your staff that they're individuals who go oh, home you, you, you to just family. Implying that, that, that I'm not nice to my people. <laughs> 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 not your staff. All right. But some people really they go to government and they go, "You haven't done this. I told you to do that." They're Almost not your like, kids. <laughs> <All right. laughs> there you go. Not they're your not kids. your kids. How's yeah. that? 
and that's it. Like, you know, be really respect and, and find a way to work with them because if you can find something that meets all their KPIs and what they need and meets what you need and meets what the community needs. It'll happen. It'll happen. It should happen. Like, it there's will no happen. reason why not Absolutely. To yeah. yeah. And be patient. Absolutely be patient. So, look, what I got out of it, you know, if 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 I've got something, and I do have a few things, but like, um, if I've got something that I really think it's that doesn't work properly and affects my business or my industry, uh, as a first step, I would say, okay, let's see how realistic is that something like this can change. Let's see if this should change. Uh, let's see if they ch- this should change, and then let's make a case for it. And once when you make a case for it. Let's commit and yeah. work as hard and as long as we take, especially if the consequences of the change are beneficial to everybody. So then it's worth putting time and effort and resources into it. Absolutely. Well, this is a good place to finish this conversation. Uh, it was really fascinating. Now, just um, where can people find you if they need your services? So they can ring me. My number is 0427-631-315. I have a website, unravelingredtape.com.au, and that's unravelling with two L's, which is the Australian spelling, not the American spelling. So don't let spell check tell you how to spell things. Okay. <laughs> I also have a LinkedIn and a Facebook page that have a couple of uh, – a few or a few quick one-minute videos which go through some of the examples of things that I've done and how I've done those. So – Fantastic, Helen. It was really good talking to you. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Awesome. Bye now. Need help selling your business, buying a business or a business valuation? Exclusive Business Sales award-winning team are here to help. Our experience, skill, expertise and professionalism backed by our triple guarantee is assurance for your success. The largest network of buyers and our national coverage will help you throughout Australia in all state capitals and regional areas. Exclusive business sales. Sell your business with certainty.